Welcome to Talking Shot, the photography and business podcast. Where we talk about life as a photographer. My name is Robert Hall, an editorial photographer from Southeast Michigan. And I'm Justin Haugen, a wedding and portrait photographer from Tucson, Arizona. Well, hello, everyone. This is a brand new adventure. My name is Robert Hall, and I'm joined today by Justin Haugen. And uh, this is our first time creating a podcast, and we're really, really excited about it. We think we've got a great topic to talk about. But being that this is our first episode, I think that it's best that we kind of start off with some introductions. We want you guys to understand who you're hearing from uh, before you hear us tell you what you should do with your life. So to start off, Justin, what do you do? Where are you from? Give people a little bit of information about you. Okay, a little background on me. I'm a full-time wedding and portrait photographer here in Tucson, Arizona. I've been shooting weddings for, in some capacity, for like the last 10 years, and I've been doing photography for about 14 years. But it wasn't until about five and a half years ago that I transitioned full-time. Really, I was pushed into it because I was working full-time at a local um, company here in Tucson, and they laid me off right before I turned 30. And so mainly out of fear and desperation, I started my photography career uh, because I had nothing else going on. Luckily, had a few weddings to fall into and spent a lot of time working on my social media and marketing and SEO. And I was able to grow a referral base shortly within a year, year's time. So I burned through some savings, of course. But uh, after that, I have been doing weddings full time ever since. So photography out of fear. I did it. So with your work, are you primarily working in the Tucson area? Uh, generally, my work is in Tucson. I do, I'd say like 90% of my weddings are in Tucson, but I do a number of location and destination weddings. So in the last year, I've been to California at least five times. I just wrapped up a pretty big wedding there at the beginning of December uh, at uh, the Hummingbird Nest Ranch in Simi Valley and uh, finished out the year um, here in Tucson for New Year's Eve and shot a wedding here. So I, I get around for weddings. I've done some stuff um, out of the country. and But personally, it's it's better to be doing weddings in town uh, at your max booking rate, because that's how um, you, you, it's more sustainable to be doing weddings in your local market than to be traveling. And, you know, a weekend gone for a wedding uh, is basically potentially three wedding dates that I could have booked here in town. So uh, you really have to be wise about the kind of work that you take for destination work, because I know it's a little glamorous uh, to be out there flying mm -hmm. around the world doing weddings. But really, the money's the best money to be made is in your own backyard. Yeah, traveling for work is fun until you actually have to travel for work. My heart goes out to anybody who is actually pursuing that full-time. And you're right, there's this dream perpetuated online with Instagram accounts like Dirty Boots, Messy Hair, where these people travel to a new location every week. And honestly, as a business, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who said that it was easier or more financially stable than just shooting weddings in a certain market. I agree. And especially if you're growing a family and you have family already and you and you leave all the time, it's not a great way to go about your business and your life. So you have to have some kind of work life, uh, social life, family life balance. And if you're gone all the time, you're not spending time with your family. And I know as I get older, my values are going to transition into a more wholesome lifestyle and going away for a week or a weekend isn't going to be as viable as it is now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know. We've got uh, Vegas coming up here in the near future. We're going to be going to WPPI. I think we're both going. We've gone for you. We've gone for the last. Well, I've gone for the last two years. I don't know how many you've gone for. I think this is going to be year five for me. I've been uh, I've been going since 2013. So this is my fifth year. And this year I'm actually going to be presenting. Um, at, I'm going to be hosting two photo walks. Uh, and I'll be doing one on Tuesday evening and one on Wednesday morning. So I'll be doing. I'm officially on the speaker presenter roster this year. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I'll be also That's awesome. At, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, It's been a long time coming. I've been working on this uh, little by little trying to get my well, first of all, I had, to, I had to really practice at public speaking because it gave me like a crippling fear to be on a microphone or be in front of a group of people. I, to, I went to Toastmasters for like a good year and worked on public speaking skills. And I run a local photo group here in Tucson. So I regularly get in front of photographers and uh, do educational events and host uh, open shoots. So this is just the next transition. So the goal is by 2020, I'm hoping to do my first platform presentation. So that's what I'm working up to. That's awesome. Yeah, I need to look into the Toastmasters here. I, you know, I don't have any fear 
or issues with public speaking. I, I don't mind speaking in front of the camera, speaking in front of a microphone like I'm doing right now, or speaking in front of a group of people. None of that really conflicts with me. But what I do have a problem with is I don't feel that when I'm in front of a microphone or in front of a camera or a group that I have the same personality that I have when I'm just being conversational. So that's something that I really want to explore is I think I just need it's like working out. I need more reps, you know, I need more reps of speaking in front of people so that I can just kind of settle into being myself. Because if you've ever seen one of my YouTube videos, I, I upload a lot of videos. I, I'm very deadpan and serious and, and get through it. And I just don't feel like I'm the same person when I'm, you know, hanging out with a group of friends or even speaking with somebody for the first time. I think I have a completely different personality. So I feel a little bit like Dr. and Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde in that regard. So I'm hoping that uh, exploring, I'm exploring Toastmasters and I also kind of want to look into, um, oh gosh, what's it called? The improv comedy and not necessarily to, I'm not trying to become a comedian. I just think that it's a great way to kind of get out of your shell in, in front of a group of people and maybe get more comfortable with speaking in front of a group. I definitely think I believe in exposure therapy, that the more you do something, the better uh, you get at it, the more natural it becomes. It becomes more of a instinctual and a reflex. So and I think this format of podcast where where it kind of feels like an interview, but really we're chatting on the phone right now. And I think that format is going to be good for you and me uh, at getting this like improvisational off the cuff kind of conversational type speaking where our personal our personalities can come through and we can also still be giving like this kind of presentation type format where people who are listening, hopefully listening, can tune in, hear what we sound like, hear the kind of thoughts we have, but also receive it in a maybe a more formal way, but also conversational. I'm it's just I'm spitballing here, but I'm hoping I'm hoping <laughs> that this can be a good a good format for people to hear us, to be informed by us and also hear who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see, I think people have learned a little bit about you, but I'm still kind of a mystery. So let me kind of go through my pathway for a bit. Yeah. How did you start getting into photography? Like what's what it, when did you first pick up a camera and then how did that lead into what you do now full time as a photographer? I want to say my first camera was around 2008 and my first camera was at least serious camera was completely by accident. I was going to a Best Buy. I was strictly looking for a new point and shoot at the time. Smartphones were not good. Again, this is 2008 at this point, an iPhone is not a really reliable camera. So I was looking for an upgrade to whatever crap that guy I had through high school, you know, that are, I don't even think I actually had a camera at the time. I'm pretty sure it was like I moved out and no longer had my mom's vacation digital camera to use anymore. So anyways, I went to Best Buy and basically the salesman just kind of tantalized me with all the levels of control that you can have with the DSLR. So the first camera that I bought was a Sony A300, Alpha 300. And yeah, again, right around 2008. And man, I, I fell in love with that really quick. My roommate at the time happened to be interested in photography. I think he had like a Canon 20D. So he, you know, he showed me what basically things like macro photography was and long exposure photography, like little things with the manual control. But from there, it was just me digging in, you know, going in online, seeing what I could there, just going out. I really love those early days where it was just go into a situation, put yourself into a situation and play around until something makes sense. And that's just what I did. And it really took me on a lot of adventures. I feel like I didn't even I didn't even know my home city of Detroit. I'm from outside Detroit, but I didn't know the nearest metro area to me that well until I started in photography. And had this reason to go down there and explore all the time to just kind of document it and learn. Um, and then also my career in photography was pretty happenstance as well. I had already left my first internship that I was going down the pathway of being a certified financial planner and did my first internship and absolutely hated it. Knew instantly that the office life was not going to be for me. And I went back to waiting tables after the internship ended while I was still going to school. And I believe, I, yeah, I waited on a, a wedding photographer. It was like my friend's girlfriend's father at the time. And he turned out to be like a really busy wedding photographer in the nearby area. And basically in that first time of just talking about cameras, he was like, you want to come assist for me and just carry lights around or whatever? And I'm like, sure, uh, you know, I'll hold lights. 
And, you know, that just started down my pathway of uh, assisting and eventually second shooting and shooting for other photographers. And he had a really high-end clientele. So when I did start to develop a portfolio, it looked like I was at all the baller locations. Like my portfolio was really like the top classiest locations in Detroit. So I had this little period where a lot of big house photography studios were were booking me and there's a point where I was doing so so many weddings but just for them I wasn't really representing myself and I believe around 2013 2012 is when I I actually started representing myself made the Robert Hall photography website chose the path of every photographer first name last name business and yeah since then though I have done uh I've had a really good business I built through the uh, the really tough time of the economy that happened in Michigan, you know, everybody faced it, but it was particularly difficult in Detroit. So I took that as a sign that I was building a business year over year while we were in a pretty pretty crappy recession. And then I just decided to ran, run with it and I quit my my serving job before I went full just my own business. Um, but ever since then, I've done weddings, and more most recently, I've kind of changed careers a little bit. I'm still doing weddings and I have a ton booked for next year, but I I started working at a local university. I'm doing a ton of editorial portraiture sessions for them. So this has kind of been my first shift in my work and this type of work that I'm doing. So that's been really exciting though. I really like the format of shooting editorial portraits. It's all very short and focused and new locations, but it just feels so different having having time in photography. I feel like wedding photography is this massive race against the clock and delays and not, you know, delaying the couple too much and making sure the party runs smooth. So to have all this breathing room where I'm working with a creative director and uh, we were analyzing shots back and forth and that's not quite it. You know, there's so much time to do over. Yeah, it's been really refreshing and I'm I'm enjoying that quite a lot. So when you started doing photography, did you know what you liked to photograph right away or did it take some time for you to figure what you liked? Oh, it definitely, definitely took some time. Uh, I think everybody needs that generalist phase where you'll shoot everything. Um, you know, I had I had times where I tried shooting babies. I did school portraits. I did sports, live music, everything, I mean, just about everything. I worked for the local newspaper and weddings really stuck with me because I, I liked the chaos of it. A lot of people say that they can't handle weddings because of the stress. They don't, you know, they're constantly worried. My wife has come to me uh, with, come to a wedding with me and she's been an assistant and like, she can't handle it as an assistant. She's like, oh gosh, this is just so stressful. And none of these things went right. Um, I absolutely love that aspect of it. It just feels so, it's always, it's always a surprise. You never quite know what you get. And that's exactly the reason that I left that office job is because there was no surprises. It was so predictable. So it was really everything that I was looking for. And even now, even now in changing and, uh, you know, I just said all those positive things about switching the careers. I, I'm not leaving weddings with any hostility, you know, and I'm still doing them. I'm not sure how much longer I will do them, but I'm not getting out of the wedding industry at all, strictly because I don't like it. I still very much love them. And see, my transition into weddings uh, didn't happen overnight. I actually started my career shooting uh, automotive photography. When I was 20 was when I picked up my first camera and I went to actually 21 and I was really into automotive like photography. I liked photographing fast cars. I was into like Japanese imported cars with all the uh, modifications done to them and new wheels and lowering kits and the you know, JDM life. Yeah, I was totally into that stuff. And living uh, the Fast and Furious dream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely was influenced by Fast and Furious. And I, I moved here when I first moved to Tucson. That's when that movie came out. I lived in Germany. Do you have, do you have a tattoo of Paul Walker? I do not have a tattoo okay. of Paul Walker yet. Rest <laughs> in peace. Uh, but um, I was really into that into that that scene. And even though I'd never drove a really worthy car, I was always around that scene and taking pictures of people's cars, going to race events. Uh, I was really into the drift scene, so I'd go out to California, take pictures of cars, um, the the racing uh, events out there, the drift events. And I learned very quickly that there wasn't a lot of money in what I was doing, that I was spending more money sleeping on friends' couches in California and driving out there than I did actually earning from the editorials that I was shooting. So I would do event coverage, spend, you know, a hundred bucks in gas, another hundred bucks in food and entertainment, and then coming home. And I, I would get these editorials out, the coverage from the event, and I'd only make 
$250, from the magazines that I was working for. So it wasn't a very profitable uh, business model. And back then when I was doing it, the technology was so frustratingly slow. Like I was shooting with a Canon 20D. I had a laptop and I think I had a cable internet connection at that point. I might have been at the tail end of dial-up uh, still because I couldn't because I couldn't afford Cox Internet. So imagine back then I didn't even shoot. Shooting raw was not even an option. We shot in JPEG and we liked it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we would um, try to send these files out to our clients and it took forever. I would be uploading galleries like overnight, uh, maybe even a full day just to get my pictures out to clients. So uh, we live in the golden age of technology in terms of speed and the efficiency of it all. And so I, I really don't miss those days. But yeah, I, I was in the car scene and it wasn't before long that I transitioned into weddings when I did a wedding for a friend and I actually liked it. And I realized that my favorite thing to photograph was people and I was really into the human experience of it all. I'm a people person. I'm definitely an extrovert and cars, while they're cool, they don't talk back they don't, I don't, I don't feel any energy from what I do photographing cars. And so it wasn't before long that I realized that the human experience of photography was what I really connected with. And that's portraits and weddings all all day and then of course weddings if you you know do your business correctly you could they can be very lucrative so it, it definitely was my lifeline to keeping myself doing photography and earning an income sustainable and able to pay a uh, mortgage and all my bills from it so I'm very lucky that uh, I fell into this branch of photography that I'm doing now so I'm very very uh, very I still love what I do and it hasn't burned me out yet yeah I don't feel any burnout coming uh, a lot of people tend to go hard too fast and I think I'm probably I got to imagine that I'm in like the top five percentile in terms of number of weddings over a certain amount of years but I don't I don't feel any burnout about it I don't get physically worn out I don't get mentally worn out it's all still very exciting for me and I look forward to it even when I'm going to places that I've been many times before just because like you said the human experience is going to be different every time yeah you know and I, I find like I like the challenge of going to a venue that I've shot at more than any other venue. I've got a couple of venues like that where I've shot probably over 10 weddings at each venue, and I don't feel burnout from shooting the same venue. I like to return with a new set of skills, a new outlook, and a new approach at photographing in that place. And I welcome that challenge. I want to be able to show, and, and your clients aren't going to know. For them, it's their only wedding. For you, you might be tired of it, but don't. I don't think people should approach a wedding venue with that kind of fatigue and that poor of an attitude. Uh, it's a new opportunity to showcase your skills and storytell. And we have to remember that on a wedding day, the most important thing is that we're telling people stories. So who cares if you've been there 10, 11, 12 times? What are you going to do for those people in that moment to make that their wedding story? So it shouldn't matter, you know? Yeah, there's one local venue that I've been to well, a little bit more than 10, probably in the neighborhood of 50 times. And it's because one of those big studios that I used to work for just dominates there. These, this place has, I think, five or six different halls inside it. So they can have 15 weddings in a weekend and they have the chapel built in. The grounds are beautiful. And, and then they've got the halls. So you've just got so much wedding traffic going through there. And when I worked for that studio, I worked there a lot. And then afterwards, because I've got such a strong portfolio from that location, I would generate a lot of interest from brides that were booking that location. And that's probably the closest I ever got to to burnt out on a place just because it was, like I said, 50 times. But the one thing, the one mistake you can't make, it's like you said, it's the client's only wedding. You can't really paint this picture that you're over it, you know, that you're over that place or this venue is not special to you. It's just such a distasteful thing to do. And I've, I've been in the room at that venue when a videographer is like, oh, I've been here a hundred times. And you just see like the dynamic change and the bride when it just doesn't seem special anymore you know you don't want to take that luster off the the sheet of a venue for a couple of it's new to them and you have to make it feel that way for them as well yeah absolutely yeah even when people ask me about that venue i say i never say yeah i've shot there 50 times because that sounds like obnoxious and i say yeah oh i've definitely been there before let me show you some images from there yeah, and I like to make make a comment about like the guest experience there or talk about like the vendors like, oh, yeah, I love working with that that venue. They're great. You know, the vendor experience is really good. I have a great relationship with the people who work there. They like I need to I want to reaffirm to those couples that the place they picked was the best place for them to choose. Like, I don't ever want people to be second guessing. Like, you should never besmirch. Even if you've had a bad experience at a venue, don't ever besmirch the venue and be like, oh, man, they're turds. Like, I can't stand working with those those jerks, you know? 
Yeah, not to a client, definitely not. Mm -hmm. I think we've got a little bit of a background on our beginnings in photography here. We also want to talk about why we want to do a podcast now. Um, so what's your motivation for wanting to do this podcast? And then I'll talk a little bit about why I want to do it. Well, I make a lot of YouTube videos. I've made somewhere in the neighborhood of like 120 YouTube videos. And I never feel like I can 100% deliver a message with a YouTube video because inevitably there's questions and comments and the format for it on YouTube. You want it to be interesting and engaging to keep people watching for whatever the duration of your video is. So you want to trim a lot of the fat. But in photography, there's so much fat and the fat is important. You know, it's really what photography is so defined by the nuances, especially as a career, maybe not so much as a hobby. There's definitely a ton of information out there as a hobby. But when you get into photography as a business, I think photography as a career is like a forest and each of us are this single tree and that is our experience. And in that tree, we each have these individual branches that intertwine and kind of connect with one another. And if you just look at any two trees, you're never going to find two with the same structure, with the same experience. So I just think that a podcast is a really great format for having a more long form, meaningful conversation. We can explore things in much greater depth than I can in the videos that I've been making. So that's why I'm mostly excited is I just think that it's going to be a more complete way to represent the photography industry, at least as a career. How about you? I have come to find that people want to hear about all the ins and outs of photography from a hobbyist standpoint, from a business standpoint. I think I think there's so many aspiring photographer types in our industry now. I think they probably represent the largest demographic of photographer. Um, I mean, between hobbyists and aspiring aspiring types, professionals represents the low percentage of the the big scheme of the whole the whole big picture of photography. And I don't want to belittle anyone's photography experience, but I guess I'm talking full-time pros versus people who still maintain a day job and they don't require photography to be their primary source of income. I, I've come to see that people want to hear about the ins and outs of photography. I think people want a peek behind the curtain. They want to see what the wizard's doing. And and I'm not making I'm not <laughs> I'm not making that analogy as to you or I as the wizard, but uh why not not in the terms of like wizard skills. Like I don't think we're wizards yet at what we do, but um I I'm think a wizard. you're a wizard, <laughs> but <laughs> I think um, I'm more like a warlock of photography. I could hear you're like the wizard. Uh, and if anyone's listening to this right now, doesn't know Rob's a pretty big deal. Like he he's got a pretty big YouTube following and a lot of people tune into his his uh, programming regularly to learn about uh, photography gear in our industry. Let's be honest, though, if if we were like in some type of role playing game, I would be like the nerdy technician healer or something <laughs> with all with all my specs. Like I would certainly not be like the magic casting warlock. I'm trying to trying to think of like who that would be in our industry. I, I, no, I don't know. Jason I, Vincent. Jason Vincent's like the warlock, warlock of <laughs> photography. I gotta tag him on this video on this audio when we when we put it on. I online. mean he's the one that's just literally making magic every time he posts. That's okay. that's that's the wizard. He's super talented. I, I think he'd be a good guy to get on the on the show because I would like to like like I find personally that I am not a great innovator or I'm not good at conceptualizing like I'm not an idea guy. And that's why I'm a photographer, not a creative director. And I think I'm good at documenting events. And I you know, when I when I used to draw as a kid, I would draw things that were already art like I was into comic books. So I would just take a piece of paper and draw a scene from a comic book that I, I was copying verbatim, but I was drawing mm. it. And so that was my artistic experience. And I could say, yeah, I'm a great, I'm a great artist. I can draw, but really I wasn't creating art. Like I wasn't, the artist is the you know person who penned and inked that comic book. I was just copying things. You were a great a, copier. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it doesn't surprise me now that I'm into photography the way I am, because I was actually doing graphic design. Uh, that's what I went to college for. But to me, graphic design is just reassembling parts of components that already exist, especially when it comes to photo editing. So uh, photography really falls in line with where I am on the on the artistic spectrum. I'm a good copier. So like pressing a button and just documenting a moment in that moment, that's my artistic realm. Like I otherwise I'm not the I'm not like uh, David LaChapelle, like in his early career doing some of those some of those photo shoots he did and music videos, like conceptualizing and having ideas about what to bring in the elements. I I have poor control over that. So that's well, that's a really important part about, you know, finding your niche and what really works well with you. And 
again, that just goes back into how nuanced photography is in that we're not all having the same experience and you can get into it for completely different reasons. And I was having this conversation on Instagram the other day where I said, I would love to experience photography as a right-brained individual. Because for me, the reason that photography made sense is because I could go home and look up the mathematics of it. It's completely defined by mathematical properties. So as soon as I read that, let's say the aperture, the area of the aperture moves by 1.4, because when you plug that into the area of a circle, you're cutting the area in half and therefore you're letting half the light in. That made sense to me. Whereas other people get into photography because they like feeling images and they like exploring situations and and you know kind of reacting in a more in a more natural way where it's just by their pure physical response to it and you know those people are executing photography in a completely different way than i am definitely and and that all makes resonates with me because i i can see there's a tangible technical and mathematical aspect to what we're doing and then there's a side of it where you see photographers who are completely devoid of all of that connection to those those concepts and they are strictly just responding and creating and at some of my goals artistically especially in the last couple of years has been to capture work that's more emotional more uh, organic and more candid and that i'm more i'm more present in the moment and that i'm involving the camera closer to those moments and getting those intimate moments being i want the viewer to be a participant in the memory not a witness or this voyeur voyeuristic quality of like seeing an image of like somebody photographed from a 200 millimeter lens from like you know, 20 feet away. I don't, I don't like the look of telephoto um, being involved in a moment. I think, I think a 35 millimeter in that moment is a more intimate moment. And so I'm trying to grow in those ways because I couldn't do those initially. And it takes a long time doing photography to grow your, your skill set and then look for, look to the next skill that you want to develop. It takes some time to like get some mastery over the technical aspects of it. So the camera stops being an obstacle to what you're doing. So uh, circling back to why I want to do this podcast is I think over the course of this format, we're going to have a lot of time to explore all those little nuances and help communicate. I want to share relative experience to people who are who might not have found common ground with other photographers. Like I think a lot of photographers don't don't share enough with other photographers and they're they're missing out on the aha moments. And when you hear other people talk about it, it turns on a light bulb in your head and you start to feel some sort of traction and some kind of some sort of progress in your photography where you realize like, oh, I'm this this at this place in my photography and kind of gives you an idea of how far you've gone and how far you have to go. So I think this uh, this podcast would be a great opportunity to explore all of that kind of growth, give people a measuring stick and then also help us explore and give voice to our own ideas and how we can grow as photographers in our own right. Oh, sounds great. I'm glad that we're going on this together, but I'm thinking we've we've talked about starting our careers. We've talked about how we got our start. We've talked about starting a podcast. And I think that it's just best that we continue to talk about fresh starts today. So when starting your career, I think it's a pretty simple list of what you need to get started. And we've broken it down into something that is pretty memorable here. It's the five P's, the five P's that you need to start a photography business. And we're going to explore them one by one. And the first that we'll start off with is passion. And I think that we've already kind of demonstrated how important the passion of photography was to us in getting started. But it's important to understand that you should not look at photography as a get rich quick scheme or anything like that. Because if you don't actually have passion for photography as a career, I don't think you're going to go very far at all. What do you think, Justin? It really bugs me sometimes. And and because we're on Facebook so much and we see so much conversation about photography, I'll be in photo groups and I'll see somebody come in with a comment like, I'm looking at starting a photography career and what camera should I buy? It's, it's mind boggling uh, that the, yeah. yeah, I saw that recently and it drove me nuts. Like, which camera should I get when I start my photography career? And to me, it's like the horse before the water. Like, how did you, or horse before the carriage, how do you, how do you have that motivation without having the passion for for the skill and and it's because photography is so accessible now that people think that it's as simple as getting a better camera than somebody else who who doesn't or does have a camera and that that's the catalyst for starting a career and I don't want to be personally offended by it because there's no reason to be triggered for it but it's like crap I've I've put so much time effort energy and love into what I'm doing and it 
it resonates with who I am. It's a part of my identity. And then to think that somebody else can just swoop in and and, and not to say that they're going to be successful at it, but but that's just a weird mentality for me to grasp that you're going to grab a camera and your career starts then. So right, right. Yeah, passion's a big part of it. Like if you don't if you don't love this, if it doesn't define your if it doesn't occupy all of your waking waking thoughts like when i when i wake up in the morning when i i'm ready to get my day started and i'm and i'm a lot of my thought to the point where i feeling a li- i'm feeling a little one-dimensional uh in terms of what interests me in my life i live for this like it, it still motivates me 14 years i still am a captive audience to learning more in this craft and getting better at it so i i hope that people have the same passion when they when they do it themselves. I don't know if you saw it, but yesterday I posted on Instagram, there's a Instagram account called Business Ideas 365. Yeah. And I'm pre- pretty sure that's exactly it. Did you see this? I saw that. Oh my gosh. So they posted on Instagram a part of their business ideas. First, understand that this Instagram account is essentially summing up complex business ideas in w- one simple Instagram frame. I think they do it like every other day. They have a new business idea. But there was, of course, one about photography. And it it was literally three lines. It said, buy a quality camera and lens, cost $3,500. Advertise $300 a week on social media. Upload a portfolio of your best images, which I don't know what images you're talking about. You just bought a camera. And then book two weddings a week at $1,200 a wedding. And your net profit in a year will be a hundred thousand dollars. And I was just like, oh, my hands were completely over my face. <laughs> I was like, these guys aren't thinking about the cost. These guys aren't thinking about the time it takes to actually learn what the hell you're doing. And then there's the whole conundrum of how do you get hired at first if you have no images? And then how do you get images if no one's hiring you? Like they're just, you know, I understand what what they're saying. Oh, and, and never mind the fact that booking two weddings a week is impossible outside of a very few select markets that are basically overrun by resorts who, guess what, offer wedding photography. Hmm. Sometimes they don't even let outside photographers into the resort. You mean you can't book a wedding right now in the middle of winter in Michigan? No, definitely not. And if anything, I'm probably one of the most diverse in terms of dates booking. I mean, I do Jewish Orthodox weddings, which are in the middle of the week. I've done uh, Easter weddings that take place on Sunday, and I do have my fair share of Fridays. But have I ever come close to 100 a week? No. In fact, everybody looks at me like I'm nuts when I told them that I've done 80 in a year. And that was the peak, the most I ever did. It was an insane year. I did a ton of Jewish Orthodox weddings, and still I'd be 24 shy of what it takes to uh, hit this Hit that target that you just easily do if your business idea is 365. Yeah, so that that post, I kind of like went off on it <laughs> just on Instagram because I was totally triggered by it. I was like, oh, I just hate the idea that they're promoting these things. And if, if this is the level of research that they put into all of their business ideas, then this account should just have zero followers. It's extremely reductive of the work that we do. <laughs> it. It makes yeah. it it makes it seem so achievable. And I, I think partly to blame is technology because we've we've crossed some really incredible thresholds with the technology of these cameras. And and what's the 5D Mark III? It's got to be going on five years now. Uh, that camera at one point was the most commonly owned camera for wedding photographers out there. Maybe I'm not, not sure if it was the most commonly owned DSLR, if that was the case, but it it was so there's so many of those cameras in the market. And I, and I find that camera to be the low watermark for the bare minimum type of camera you need to shoot weddings with right now. So I think Yeah, nowadays for yeah. sure. And what's what's one of those cameras used right now go for? Maybe $1100. You could fetch one with some medium oh. mileage on it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and and pair that with, you know, I can shoot the entire wedding with a 24 to 70 uh, f2.8. Like that covers my wide end, that covers my photo journalistic end and then at the far end of it at 70 millimeters, that's my portrait end. If you give me one lens, one camera, and ideally, I need two cameras. But at that cost used, you're maybe out twenty five hundred dollars. My first camera was a Canon twenty D, and those can that camera with a kit lens, I think, fetched fourteen fifteen hundred dollars. And technologically, the five D Mark III has surpassed that, eclipsed that camera, you know, significantly. That's the low watermark to shoot a wedding right now, and you could have one for less than I got into a Canon twenty D fourteen fifteen years ago. And that is so accessible now to people that. 
they covet that camera. They covet the 5D Mark IV, the Nikon D750. They're very easy cameras to move into at relatively lower price points than they were compared to inferior technology 10 years ago. And I think that's why we have a dearth of wedding photographers and people who want to dabble in this. And when when people ask about wedding photography, I want to tell them, don't, just for the sheer craziness of it all. There's so much that, that can go wrong and right on a wedding day that you have to manage that you are not prepared for just jumping into it without having second shot any of these kind of weddings in the first place. Yeah, it's it's hands down probably the worst niche of photography that you could jump into and mm. be inexperienced in. Sure. I think we're both showing our passion right now for how much we care about this. <laughs> uh, and we're maybe a little protective, but that's not our that's not our P uh, next P word. I think we should talk about the next tip for getting into your full time career. Uh, the next P word is plan. You should have a plan. And what do you think about that? Well, I think people should not do what we did, which was jump into this without any type of plan, because uh, it probably would have been a little bit smoother. I don't know. How fast did you transition without a plan? Did you did you have a little bit of a problem? Did it take a few years or did it work pretty well? I man, I think I was the benefactor of, of good timing. And uh, like I, I had a soft landing, like I mentioned before, I, I got laid off in May of 2013. And that summer, I landed in which summer is the worst time to do weddings in Tucson. But for some reason, I had a lot of summer weddings. I landed on like a stretch of like six or seven weddings. And on top of money that I had saved up like that cushioned my fall. And after that wedding season ended, I did a little bit in the fall. I really got to work on my website. I had to build a new website, new logo, new portfolio. And I got the blog going and I, got, I became obsessed. I self-taught myself SEO practices and I really got down on blogging and keywording everything correctly from your file names to your uh to, to like organic content was was king in the seo world so if you could write about something and sound like a subject matter expert in your field of relative interest if you could write about the places you were at the things you were photographing and use the keywords like i needed to hit the word tucson wedding and photographer as many times as possible throughout my website and i i just got obsessed with it and by the end of the year Come January, I hadn't seen any results yet, but I did manage to finally get to um, the top spot in Google. So if you if you Google Tucson wedding photographers, I was number one organically, the first result. And that January was when everybody started planning their weddings from uh, wedding season. I think everybody are from engagement season. So everyone gets starts getting engaged. I think we call it Thanksgiving through uh, through Valentine's Day's engagement season. And at that point, January hit, it was like January 3rd, everyone went back to work and everyone started emailing wedding photographers. And I started averaging probably at least two emails a day for that whole month. I was getting inquiries on weddings. And at that wow. point, I was I was competitively priced in the middle market, like the lower middle market. So I was doing those like $1,500 eight hour wedding days. And it was a very competitive field to be in. And I booked more weddings than I ever booked since. And I kind of figured it out that year, like off the off the deposits and then started to do the actual weddings. I carved out a pretty good wedding career for me in that first year of, of it becoming like, this is what I'm going to do. I did some uh, job applications, didn't get any interviews, and I I latched on to photography and I was like, well, this is my chance. Like if I'm going to do it, then then this is it. So, yeah, I had to do it. And uh, I I don't know how I would have done it. Otherwise, I can't imagine leaving my day job. My day job, I was working at a Raytheon Missile Systems here in Tucson, and I wasn't making great money, but I had a 401k, I had health insurance, and I was able to buy my first home because of working at that company. So I was doing some photography, videography there, but I worked in a, in the internal print department. I would have just stayed there. I, I don't know how I would have turned the corner and built my business plan up and been like, okay, this is the day I quit my job, and this is how I hope this like visualize my year for weddings and this is my plan and this is how much money I'm going to earn. I just jumped right in and started making money and it worked out. And I don't recommend that to anyone, but like I said earlier, <laughs> nor do the, I. Yeah. In, earlier in the podcast, fear is a motivator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have another friend locally who did a great job at, you know, back against the wall situation. Um, he basically decided that this was going to be his career while still being, you know, relatively amateur to it. And he quit his job and just went for it. And he's like, oh, I'll figure it out. And and it worked out great for him. But do not take 
this limited sample size as a reason to just quit your job and and immediately decide, yeah, I'm enjoying photography, so I'm going to make it my career. Uh, You should definitely go in with a plan. You should, if anything, if you have a little bit of extra time, just be a weekend warrior for a while. Just it's it's a really comfortable way to do it. You can get to the point where you're making a, a nice additional amount of money, which you can in turn use for advertising and you're never affecting your daily bottom line. You know, you can always still afford to live the life that you've gotten used to. You're not going to have a dramatic shift in your standard of living. That's probably the best way to go, I think, is to to be the weekend warrior for a while. And you get a sense of a lot of things. You get a sense of, can I actually sustain this as a career? Can Will my body hold up to it? Do I actually enjoy the type of photography that I'm doing long term? Because it's one thing when it's your first couple of shoots, but are you going to enjoy this long term? And then you get a sense of your demand and the demand is extremely important because you get to see, you know, with photography, it's not just about whether you want to do it. It's about whether people want you to do it for them. So you really have to get a sense of if there's a demand for what you're trying to do out there. And that's a really important thing that you can develop while you're still in the safety net of your existing job. So Try to be a weekend warrior if you can first. I think that's the best way to go. I agree. I think photography should be a good plan B, a solid plan B, a secondary source of income uh, if you've got a day job. And I think you'll start to learn how you can manage the workflow of it all. Like I started to learn um, my how I handled clients intake, like client intake, uh, workflow of the of the editing and everything, the file management after the wedding. Uh, you learn all that uh, going through it, and especially you learn it from a limited window because if you're working nine to five and you can only edit in the evenings or on the weekends, you start to feel out how you manage that workflow part time. Even it gives you a good sample set for what it could look like in the future when your time is fully manipulated by photography and everything around it. If you're doing it for a business, so um, yeah, I, de- I definitely agree. Be a weekend warrior as long as possible. Uh, photography makes a great plan B um, until you don't have a choice and then it becomes your plan A in our case. <laughs> yeah. And if it, there is the demand, if you do see the demand for what you're doing and it's, you know, far outweighing what you're earning or you just don't have the enjoyment in your daily job anymore and you just got nonstop people calling you, well, then that's when you start cutting back on the regular work, whether it means finding another part-time position of the similar type of work or if your work will allow you to step down from full-time sorting it out in some way so that you can begin to do more photography and less of whatever it is that you're doing. So what do you think is the most accessible means of making income from photography uh, outside of weddings? Because I think I can only give people a roadmap, a vague roadmap of getting into wedding photography. But what would be another type of photography you think photographers could get into that could earn them a sizable income? I mean, the best is probably some type of portraiture. I would think that the most beneficial one or the most profitable one off the bat to me would be kids just because when people have a child, they're going to want those photos um, at all those early stages when the child is changing really quickly. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for repeat business, which there's not much of in wedding photography, at least you hope not for your clients. There's a lot of referral business, but there's not a lot of repeat business with the same clients. And I know photographers in the family sphere that really make it off of, you know, just a select group of families. Like they don't really have an expansive list of clients. They're not adding a lot of clients. They're just, they're just basically really tuned in with the clients that they do have and their immediate families and then their extended families. And it kind of grows. And over time, those, those kids grow up more, they become seniors. And so general portraiture, but I think kids would probably be the, the most profitable one that I can think of right off the bat. I think if I had to recommend somebody to get into an area of photography that's low risk in terms of, uh, you know, you're not dealing with people's at the moment memories like a wedding. And I think, yeah, families would be a good one to get into. And I think that opens the door for uh, in-person sales as a business model, because I know photographers in small markets who are making sizable income off of working with families their their time investment is, you know, one and a half to two hours on a photo shoot, maybe less. And then, um, the time they spend editing the photos and then the consultation time and the time they spend doing the, the sales um, in person, their time investment with a couple or with a, with people is much less than mine as a wedding photographer. And their income, like their, their income earned to time spent is percentage wise a lot higher. And I think that's a great way to start. If you're going to weekend warrior, do family sessions 
and get really good at the sales side of it. Because if people are into your photos enough to book you, I think once you start getting the work down, you can really, if you can blossom at sales, you could make great income that could transition you out of your primary source of income and into photography full time. I, I, I think that'd be better than t teaching somebody to do weddings at $1,000 for five hours to eight hours a wedding day and beating themselves up trying to figure out if they even love what they're doing. I also think families and, and portraiture in general is one of the, the best, it's one of the best markets for there to exist at different levels of photography. Like there are photographers out there who are serving the people who have less money to spend on their family photos. And that's completely okay. There's like the whole shoot and burn thing. You know, as a budding photographer, as a developing photographer, those things are important for you. It's important for you to have access to those type of opportunities. And it's an easy way to kind of step ladder up into, like you said, in-person sales. If you want to get into that, obviously you should always be trying to sell your work to the fullest potential. And that means in print, but there's certainly some people that just simply cannot afford that, but still want photos of their family. So I just think that it's a really great ladder that you can climb as opposed to jumping into wedding photography and potentially screwing up a moment that someone can never get back with family sessions yeah it's not profitable or a great idea to ruin someone's photos but at least it's a situation that you can likely redo i think we poorly segued into our third p and that's photos so i think we've had a good conversation here about what it is you're actually going to be photographing uh getting into your full-time career and and we both have a limited subsection a subset of photography our niches are weddings people editorial some commercial i mean there's so many ways to earn income off of photography i think we can only anything else that we say is probably conjecture as into how you could get into like elite commercial photography maybe not so much for you because you're shooting um with your new your new gig right now but it's it's hard to for me personally to give out advice to other photographers about how they can thrive in their realm of interest if i've never personally done that i don't have that roadmap and i i can only go off of my personal experience talking about weddings and portraits um i've done some commercial work some editorial but i'm not i'm not earning like weddings are my income like that's weddings are probably 75 percent of my yearly income that keep me afloat so um, yeah, I don't know what it's like to support myself full time shooting commercial photography, but I'm starting to grow in that realm and I want to specialize and market to that to that audience. But that all is outside of my um, photography skills and more about how I market and brand. Right. Yeah. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add in about photos? That's our third P is obviously as a budding photographer starting a new career, you need photos. Uh, I think the the one main thing that I really wanted to add in with photos is especially when you're starting out is you need to be on top of keeping it up to date. If you heard Justin talk about when he was developing his photography, his website, he was obsessed with blogging and keeping it fresh and everything. And you increase your skill so quickly in the early parts of photography, at least if you're getting a lot of sessions and reps in, your skill really elevates quickly and you want to be as up to date as possible with showing your photos, with updating your photos. I've fallen into this trap many times where I'm booking and everything's going good and I'm not really putting a ton of effort into the marketing and then all of a sudden there's a dry spot and it's just because I've kind of fallen out of date there's nothing new on my website why aren't you know why aren't there any new photos is he even still shooting these questions kind of arise with your couple so in order to take full advantage of your growing skill you really want to make sure that you're updating your photos on whatever you're displaying in them on social media website anything. If you're doing print marketing, you want to keep that all up to date and really present. I guess we should go into our next P, the fourth P, and that is peers. What are your thoughts on peers in your photography full-time career? This is the most important aspect of building a photography career, I would say. I think it's more important than the photos. I think a lot of things as a photography as a career are more important than photos. I think the, the experience that you bring to people is more important, at least in, I think, the wedding niche. I think that's more important, but I undoubtedly think, and it may just be my experience, that peers are the most important thing. And you need two types of peers in photography. You need other photographers and you need whatever industry that you're serving, you need to have peers in. So of course, we're going to default to weddings here, but when it comes to weddings, you want to be friends with planners, DJs, florists, people at the hall, the staff, anybody that you know, the wedding singer, you never know who is going to land you your next job simply because they're a friend of yours. 
And when it comes to photographers, having photographers as friends, I think that that's been the most beneficial thing. A lot of times people view other photographers as competition. They're the enemies and everybody's going to keep secrets. But as Pratik said, community over competition. It's going to be so much more beneficial if you are active in your community, making friends with other photographers. They're going to need your help. They're going to recommend you down the road if you did a good job for them before. And ultimately, you're going to be able to give people great referrals to other photographers because you know them personally. You know who's going to serve the client well. And when you refer somebody to a great photography experience, that's going to stick with them and you're going to stand out in their head, even though you didn't provide photography as a service to them. I agree. You never know where your next referral is going to come from. Having peers in our industry has been massively beneficial to me personally. And I can, I, if I had to guess, if, if I put a number on the amount of business I've referred out in the last, uh, the last year alone, I probably referred out 15 to 20,000 in work uh, to other photographers, peers of mine, uh, who could take on work that I was either booked for or um, or that I uh, couldn't take on myself because I was obligated to something else. So that that's huge. Like, think about the amount of commerce I just referred out in the last year. And I know I've personally been the benefactor of other people's referrals to me in the same in the same breath. So I, I think having peers is important because if I didn't have that work to refer out to, I like being able to give a trusted referral out to somebody who's looking for, for a photographer. And, and obviously, they, I'm hoping that they, you know, they liked my work enough that they trust my referral, that I can vet the person that I'm referring out. The other thing I think peers are important for is if being a full-time photographer, it can be a little lonely in terms of I work from home most of the time or from the studio. I spend a lot of my time alone. I'm just in front of a computer. Facebook is where I interact with people the most. But this is our water cooler talk. Like you and I, like us talking shop like this and this this like exchange of information and and ideas. Like I really enjoy that. And I kind of miss that about a conventional workplace where you, your camaraderie with your with your coworkers and peers um, occurs on a daily basis. And in our industry, it doesn't unless you involve yourself with photography communities, making friends, making uh, networking with other with other people, people in our industry, especially uh, vendors, companies that uh, that make products that support us. Like I love that side of our industry. It gives me a good sounding board for my ideas. It helps validate the things I'm doing right and helps also uh, put me in check on the things I'm doing wrong. I need that kind of feedback. And if you're in an echo chamber and you and you're and and I know some of these photographers. I know some photographers who and I because I was this guy at one point. I stuck my head in the sand and I didn't want to see what other people were doing because I didn't want to draw comparisons of my work and my process to someone else. Because in my head, I was like, I only want to compete with myself and I only want to get better and I'm only here to get to improve myself and. I learned that that I, I came to see that that was such a narrow minded way to look at it and that it is helpful, helpful to see what other people are doing and give it give yourself some frame of reference for where you have to improve. Yeah, absolutely. It's super important. And once you've done it for a while, you know, it doesn't sometimes you don't even have that aspect of it anymore, where instead it just feels like you guys are, you know, you you're all a team and you're in it together. And I feel specifically with my community and I don't know how the community is ever. You've spoken highly about the Tucson market, but I absolutely love my community in Detroit. We have these big parties where we all get together. We have workshops that we basically generate ourselves. So they're all within our own community. Um, some have to do with the organizations like professional organizations like the ASMP and the DPPA. But a lot of times it's just somebody in our group kind of starts it and we let the, the message spread between the group members and all of a sudden we've got this functioning workshop where um, not only the people putting it on are getting compensated fairly to teach well, but a lot of people are learning some really valuable information. And then you just got the networking benefit on top of it where you're meeting new people. We just had a holiday party and I want to say there was like over 100 people there and it was just so nice. And we're talking like all wedding professionals. So Hopefully you have a, a really nice community. If you don't, try to be the person that that builds that community in your area that starts getting things together. But really look at all your options to explore. Try to find groups on Facebook. Try to find groups on Meetup. Even if you're looking at it from a hobbyist perspective, there's so many little groups that you can join and get out there and experience photography with other people and just make new peers in the process. And that's been my experience as well here in Tucson. Um, I actually built, I did that. I, I We didn't have this community of like-minded um, people of sharing the same interest. And I went out and built my own community. It's called Tucson Aspiring and Pro Photographers. We have a cool acronym. It's TAP, 
and uh, hmm. with two P's. And we've got a great group. We just did our we just did our third annual Christmas party that I host every year. And I think our attendance was upwards of 60 people, if you count everyone plus their guests, uh, maybe 70 people. And then we we do a print exchange where everybody comes with a print and everybody leaves with somebody else's print by the end of the night. And oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah. And it's become this really cool thing. I, what I've what I love about the group now is it's not it, you know, there's a lot of photo photographer groups where it's like such and such names photography group. And and it kind of becomes a little bit I have no nice words to describe what that experience is like, but the people kind of you know, there's a lot of back padding going on. I'm like, look at, you know, the guy person posts their photo and then everyone's like, oh, great photo. And yep. I wanted this group to be about the community. And so my my involvement is pretty integral in getting people together. But if I remove myself and don't inject myself into the group for a period of time, the group remains active. And there's all these people who have created friendships, who do meetups, who do their own styled and planned photo shoots, who refer out work. And so we have almost 27, 2800 members now. And oh, wow. yeah, and, and it's become this thing that I never would have imagined it, it would grow into. And we're going on maybe four years now with that group. So I feel like that could be a good topic of a future episode, maybe how to build a community, um, an online community of like-minded photographers in your local area. I think I could, I have a lot of input on, on how people can help grow those kind of communities and, and the benefits of it, the windfall of it all. Like I said, you know, I'm sharing commerce. Like I, I know I've referred out uh, all that money that I've referred out. Most of those people were people in my photo group. So. So let's go back to the numbers aspect of peers, because we've talked a lot about the interpersonal relationships and how that can help. But I, And you said you've given out $20,000 worth of referrals in the last year, if you had to put a value on it. I know it's difficult, but let me give you my story that I can absolutely put a number on. A friend of mine in photography, we first worked together, I'd say six, seven years ago. We were both working at the same big shop studio, and afterwards we had our careers had gone on separate paths. He became more of a corporate event photographer and he goes all over the United States and does corporate events. That's exactly what he specializes in. He got out of the uh, wedding sphere and I stayed in it. Well, he asked me one time about a year after we had first met if I could help him with this event. And I said, absolutely. I went, did the event. I think I was there for like one day, eight hours, something simple. Well, the next year they wanted to up the coverage and naturally I was the second guy there the year before. So they added me and it was two days. And then I believe I'm now on five years or four years running where I've done all three days of it. It's one of the best events that I cover. I'm genuinely interested in what the what the event is on, which makes it even better. But in total, in working three days a year for the past five years, it's been... I think probably sixteen to twenty thousand dollars somewhere in that neighborhood. I think the invoice is around four thousand every year. So that's a tangible amount that just stems from one friendship, from one relationship. And I have countless of those experiences of different levels and different intermittency. But ultimately, guys, I have to say that I've probably earned over a hundred thousand dollars from photography friends. So that's how, and I and I've given out a lot too. It's not just one sided, but you know, it's it can be really, really beneficial to your career from a financial and an interpersonal standpoint. That's great. And I'm actually like thinking back to um, my photo group and my current studio business partner uh, is a friend that I made through this photo group that I created. So uh, and actually, if I had to look back on on the money, amount of money that like that relationship has generated in my life, uh, it's actually in the negative because I'm in debt because of the photography studio we opened up together. So uh, so <laughs> she's had a negative impact in my life, but we're still best friends and I, and I love her. So. <laughs> Go go ahead and plug the studio real quick, Justin. <laughs> yeah, um, we have a studio here in Tucson. It's a cooperative photo studio for photographers to rent the space with a uh, monthly membership. So the six month obligation, people can rent um, different chunks of time per month, and then also get additional hours at a uh, discounted membership rate. So it's been a cool thing. We've got about uh, six or seven monthly um, paid members who who are there regularly and using the space they're also learning and growing also bringing their own clients in there sharing the time they have with other photographers to help learn and grow together so come this cool cooperative photo experience where people are getting access to a low cost low intimidation type environment where uh, i think when people are first starting their studio photography careers or getting into a studio feels like a very intimidating experience so we've made this 
place that doesn't have all the pretension of a, of a really high-end studio, but with all the amenities that you would need. It sounds just like the Planet Fitness of photography studios. We are the Planet Fitness of <laughs> photography studios, and we don't do it Pizza Tuesday. It's a Pizza Wednesday when we host our monthly wedding, uh, <laughs> our monthly tap meetings in there. So we do, we we get some uh, five dollar Little Caesar hot and ready pizzas going on. That's not a plug. It's funny. <laughs> I I actually I actually canceled my my big nice fitness club membership that I had uh, last year, and then went without a gym for a little while and got the itch again and they actually opened up a planet fitness and i literally went for my second day today and all i gotta say is those hydro massage beds are incredible oh man i gotta check that out um, you, but you that, do need the black card to enjoy that amenity though <laughs> that would require a gym membership and i'm a little scared to start one just do it and show up so the final thing we've gone over four p's if you need a little recap we've gone over passion having a plan having creating photos and of course having peers in the industry. And the final thing that you need for a photography business is profits, obviously. I mean, this is only going to work if you're profitable. Otherwise, you're going to be out of business really quick. So Justin, talk a little bit about how you define your profits, how you understand how much money you're actually bringing in. I think I want to talk a little bit about what we shouldn't be doing and, and how we how we evaluate uh, what our time is worth and what really breaking down the cost analysis of what we're doing. So I think people really need to examine the hours spent on a particular task and not just the hours of photography. I think photographers fall into a trap of, well, um, this session is only going to be one hour, so I should charge $175. And that's not the reality of the time spent in that job. If you if you say you spend an hour with a couple and you're doing an engagement session for 175 uh, are you counting for the you know, 10 to 15 minutes you spent in email correspondence back and forth, uh, maybe up to 35, 45 minutes doing emails, phone calls, uh, that, that part of that process. And then uh, you actually have to drive to that. You have to prepare your gear and pack your vehicle with all of your equipment and take the time to charge your batteries and then drive, you know, put the memory cards in the camera, format all your cards, like all the preparation, the logistics, uh, getting to your shoot, your setup your time um, spent with the couple actually taking photos. And did you really end at one hour? Or did you spend like another 20 minutes because the light was great? And then getting home, the correspondence uh, back and forth with the with the finished edits or however you plan to deliver these images and then giving them a final product, whether it's print or or something digital. Did you really spend one hour on that photo shoot? And and did it really cost, um, you know, at, at one hour for one hundred and seventy five dollars? Or did you really spend you know, five hours on um, on that job. And I'm not a math whiz in my head, but $175. 30 bucks. Was that 35 bucks? 35. There you go. You're a math whiz. So 35 bucks an hour uh, spent on that. And then you can't, you include taxation. And like, what's your, what's your cut um, hourly after your profit? What's your profit off of that one hour shoot when it really spent, you know, five hours of your time in the totality of it all. So we have to be better about cost analysis, our project management, how long we're spending with each people. And it's really never as little as we like to bid it out for. So, you know, that one hour shoot, was it better served? You know, if it's if it really spent five hours of your time and energy preparing and interacting with these people, you know, maybe you were better served charging $500 for that one hour session than you did 175. So we got to look at things in those terms and be better about that. There's also all the fixed costs that you're accruing, whether it's for the equipment that you're using or... Your education, how you built your education may cost you money. I think there's a lot of free resources these days, and hopefully, I don't know how many people are still going to photography school, but there's going to be a cost with education and getting to the point where you can do a functioning photography session, especially if you want to continuously upgrade your skills and start serving clients in a more complete fashion. All that's going to take time and education from you, which is stuff that you kind of have to roll into what it costs to hire you. Because you have to recoup that somehow. And hopefully you can do it by increasing your rates down the road. But that's what goes into it is building your pricing through your experience in the past. And then it has to be commensurate with your level of skill and talent and the value of your brand and product. So and those are all things that are not in year one what they are in year five. So what I charge now is not what I charge in year one, but also my management, my ability of all the minutiae and like all the process of the of the of this work 
is at a much higher functioning level than it was in year one. So uh, my my time at even though if it's a lesser time than I spent with somebody uh, would have in year one, it's at a higher premium. And so you have to be comfortable with learning how to raise your rates. And I think I think right now this this week, January 3rd right now is a good day to look at your prices and raise your rates. If you haven't done so in the last year, you should be once people start paying you for your skills and thought, your services and your time, um, you can start charging more once they start paying for that rate consistently. Start looking at uh, raising your rates because the more you raise your rates, the less you'll deal with the bottom end of your clients who are manipulating the most of your time and energy, and you'll start dealing with less less stresses, uh, less couple less uh, clients. But you'll make either more or at the, you'll make the same amount of money for a less investment of your time. Yep. Yeah. There's a big rule out there called the eighty twenty rule, and that's that the bottom 20% of your client experience will account for 80% of your problems. So you constantly want to refine your ability to cut those people out. And I know when you're starting out, anytime you say no or pass an opportunity up, you feel like there's money being pulled out of your pocket. But the reality is you're just establishing yourself for a higher quality of experience and a higher quality of client that you're going to deliver more too. So you really have to have confidence in yourself that you're worth more as you grow your business. And if you think about it, uh, the average photographer who probably invested in a high-end DSLR, higher-end DSLR in the in the ballpark of anywhere from you know two thousand dollars to three thousand uh, dollars, invested in in the necessary glass to shoot what they're doing, and spend another you know two to three grand on that, plus the lighting equipment if they if they delve into off-camera flash the computers they need to run their uh, editing software and the the hard drives they need to have to back up all these that this digital assets onto and if you're if you're out in a minimal investment of at least 10 grand uh how much in that first year before you are actually earning back the money you spend especially if you're a weekend warrior how long does it take for you to make back your investment on the on all that equipment so hopefully after hearing all this you aren't running back to photography as a hobby and you still have the confidence to explore photography as a career again those 5 Ps that you need to consider photography as a career are passion for photography, plan in advance, photos, gotta have those, peers that will help guide you in the industry or help send you business, and profits. Only works if you guys end up profiting. All right, guys, I think that is a really good introduction into starting photography as a career. Hopefully this was of significant value to you, and I hope you guys enjoyed getting to know us a little bit. We promise we're not going to do that every episode and next time we'll start a little bit quicker. And let us know what you think about the show in the comments and what kind of topics you'd like to hear about in the future that we can talk about. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on this initial adventure and starting a podcast. We hope it was valuable to you guys and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.